With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, folks, you got another episode of State of the Use podcast going on today. Uh, with me, as usual, this is your host, Jerry Steinberg. I've got Daniel Tumley, and I've got Scott Salomon. Going to talk all kinds of things in the world of UM sports. There's some anticipation that UM may name a new president this week. We got a baseball team with an eight-game winning streak. We got a football team that just concluded spring practice and the NFL draft coming up. And uh, we also have a basketball team that had two big-time transfers this week. So we got plenty to talk about. How are you guys doing today? Wonderful. Excellent, like always. Great, great. Uh, thanks for coming on, guys. So, Scott, I want to start with you today. Um, there's some rumblings that UM may replace their. Uh, President Donna Shalala, who announced her retirement, they may replace her starting as soon as tomorrow. Um, so I, I don't know how true that is, but it sounds like we're getting pretty close um, to a new president being named at UM. You're an alumni of the University of Miami. Um, you've been covering UM sports for a long time now. Um, I, there's a bit of a dichotomy between UM alums and UM sports fans only sometimes on what they expect in a president. Uh, give me your thoughts on what you'd like in a new president. Well, I think that it's important to have a president that has a global base in the hierarchy of needs for the university as a whole. Uh, I don't want a pure academian. Uh, I want a president that will look at the academic world, but also look at the athletic world, the extracurricular activities world, and make Miami the well-rounded institution that it used to be, uh, not taking anything away from President Shalala, because I think she's done a magnificent job at the helm of the university, but I do believe that she's allowed certain athletic programs to go by the wayside and hasn't ruled with the heavy fist that presidents before her, like Edward Thaddeus Foot II, uh, had during his tenure as president, uh, especially when I was there, and we had Jimmy Johnson as the head coach. We had the president and the head coach and the athletic director, Sam Jankovic, at the time, uh, butting heads all the time, which I absolutely loved. And I think that's the way that, that it should be. If you have a president and an athletic director and a head coach, and all get along magnanimously all the time, then you're really not improving as a university because you really can't agree on everything. And you shouldn't agree on everything. Um, and I think that that's the problem that we have now is that Blake James, Donna Shoyla, and Al Golden are all on the same page, and it's not a very good page to be on. Yeah, I mean... Um, I, I, I'm also an alum. Blake this week. I mean, I, I've spoken with, with Blake as late as last week, and you know, he knows my feelings. He knows my position on these matters. Um, and you know, I, I think that the university will improve its athletic position. I think that the two candidates are diametrically opposed to one another. 
Uh, I, I strongly support one over the other. Um, and I believe that we will have a new university president probably by this time tomorrow. Yeah, that Scott, that seems to be what's uh, going on. I know NBC Miami had reported that uh, in the afternoon they're expected to announce um, the new president and, you know, they're going to announce Shalala's retirement and all that good stuff or, or send her out um, with honors. Um, I just want to get my thoughts. Um, I, I sometimes think a university president's role in athletics, while I don't want to minimize it, is blown out of proportion. Um, I, I think we all are looking for a scapegoat, whether it's the coach, the president, the athletic director. Uh, you know, as University of Miami alumni and fans, we're all dissatisfied with what's been going on the field, particularly with the football team. And, and I think we sometimes look for a scapegoat, and I think uh, too much of that's gone on Shalala's shoulder. She's done her job uh, uh, magnificently in every other way, shape, and form in terms of raising money for the school, making the, you know, the University of Miami one of the top research institutions in the country, um, increasing, you know, what my, my diploma's worth from the University of Miami uh, since she's been named president. And I think she's done an overall fantastic job. Uh, you know, if anything, the athletic director, uh, you know, and and the coaches need to be more in charge of what's on the field. Um, I, I don't think the University of Miami is underfunded. Um, I don't think she's been hands-on at all. Maybe if you go to a different university, you know, maybe if you're talking about the University of Alabama, Southern California, uh, you know, some of these other schools in the country, presidents are more hands-on with athletics than she's been. But at the same time, they did hire Jim Laranaga during her stay, and they did win an ACC championship in basketball. So that does say that there is possibility for success if they make the right kind of hires, um, you know, regardless of who the president is. Uh, Daniel, you've been sitting patiently uh, listening to me and Scott talk about this topic. Do you have any thoughts on, on the University of Miami's next president? Well, you know, piggybacking off what Scott said, I believe, you know, it's definitely time to get someone hopefully – you know, that focuses more on athletic side of things. Um, I mean, obviously it's really important to have a well-rounded person at that position, but um, it's, it's definitely time. I mean, I mean, is it a coincidence that since, you know, Shalala was there, you know, the athletics haven't really been as good as they were in the past prior to her, um, taking the position? Um, so, I mean, who knows? You know I mean? Like you said, maybe it's overblown what the president does Um but, and what the responsibilities are, but um, I definitely think it's time to get someone, at least in, you know, for public opinion matter, just to just to get someone out there that really you know makes an effort and you know maybe makes some better hires in the future. Respectfully, I have to disagree with a certain position that that has been taken here is that the athletic program has not improved. The athletic department, in and of itself. Uh, has been fairly constant with Jim Laranega, Jim Morris, Katie Meyer. Uh, we, we have three very successful non-football team sports. We've done very well in swimming and diving. Our golf program is doing well. Uh, our non-revenue sports are doing very well. So I, I, I don't want to make it sound as though the athletic department in and of itself is not improving. The problem is is that in college sports today, you have football and you have everything else. 
And in the past, the football team has funded the non-revenue sports and has also counted on heavily for the football, baseball, soccer, and other teams that are fielded at a varsity level in the Atlantic Coast Conference. The problem is, is that when the football team is not corresponding to the needs and desires of the community, then every other program in and of itself is going to suffer financially. And I think that that's one of the major problems that we need to look at. We need to focus on the football program, not the athletic department. Okay, Donna Shalala was available uh, when we hired Jim Laranaga. She was there when we gave an extension to Jim Morris. And and those were two uh, moves that, one, I was very much in favor of in hiring Laranaga and any subsequent extension that he might be getting. Uh, And, you know, Jim Morris... You know, I've gotten to know Jim a lot better over the course of, of this season, and, and I see a lot of improvement in the baseball team. I wasn't very gung-ho in naming his successor three years in advance. Uh, I, I, I really can't uh, co-sign that move, but giving Coach Morris a three-year extension, I, I have no problem with. Um, but the course and conduct of the football team is really what I think this next president needs to get a grip on. And I think that if you look at the the admiral, uh, who is one of the two people considered for this position, he is a tremendous college football fan. And by him being a tremendous college football fan and ardent supporter of university football teams, I then have become a major fan of his. And I would like to see some sweeping change come into this program. Scott, just to uh, just to update something that you brought up, <clears throat> being as how I'm a very uh, hoop centric kind of guy here for University of Miami basketball. Jim Laranaga was extended. I believe he was extended his first year at UM when Icehorse was still there. And I am just looking on the internet now and reading that he was extended through 2019. So they they acted quick on on Laranaga. Um, that was again that was one athletic director ago, but again that was within Shalala's term, obviously. So they acted real quick to not only bring Jim Laranaga in, but to extend him um, almost immediately upon getting to Coral Gable. So, you know, if you want to um, bring up Shalala's track record, and and you make an excellent point. I mean, we we are the the center of the universe for college athletics is football, no matter where you go. I mean, that's why the ACC has Notre Dame as a partial member, and why the ACC is brought in you know, brought in Miami and Florida State in the first place, or brought in Miami to be with Florida State in the first place. I mean, this is a a football-centric universe we live in. So, you know, no surprise there um, that people would forget about um, some of the things that were done um, in terms of Shalala's uh, tenure here that that may have been successful because the football team has been so unsuccessful. I mean, if you look at it, we have a swimming and diving national champion. Our basketball team won the ACC two years ago and just went to the NIT finals. Our baseball team won the ACC championship during the regular season last year and just missed out going on to Super Regional. Uh, Things are looking good. The the big uh, elephant in the living room, so to speak, is the lack of success of our football program 
and the lack of any apparent success or the lack of any blueprint for success for that program in the immediate future. Yeah, and, and this is going to be a big year. Um, I almost feel bad for the next president to an extent because if the team goes 6-7 and seven again this year, I mean, I think if the team does anything short of winning the ACC Coastal, which the coaching staff and the players have been very outspoken about that being their goal, their, you know, their biggest goal, um, anything short of that, and I think whoever comes in is going to be under a lot of pressure um, from fan base, from alumni, from former players, um, you know, from the same groups that barked after last season's six and seven year uh, to make a change. So that's why this hiring is going to be pretty critical. I mean, um, a very big part of me um, wants to see the team turn it around. I lost a lot of faith in the coaching staff last year. Um, you know, so if they do have, a, I'll never root for them to have a bad season, but I'll, I'll be one of them. I'll be just as outspoken as anybody if they have another mediocre or poor season about making some changes. Um, but they, this is going to be a critical year, and it's going to be interesting that the football team could be facing so much turmoil with a first-year president at the helm. Um, that, that's going to be a very uh, interesting um, side story to what happens uh, this year with the football team, for sure. Um, I think that you, that you have to look at the fact that uh, presidents of any organization like to have their own people in place in positions of power that they can delegate. And with a military man coming in, uh, it's going to be no different. And we have to appreciate the fact that he's going to want to have a hands-on approach to intercollegiate athletics, particularly the the football program. And it, it, it wouldn't surprise me that if we had a slow start, if we saw a change coming uh, early in the season. I mean, if if we're not 3-0, and Coming out of that out of that Nebraska game, I, I think there's a problem. Yeah, I, you know, and I haven't I haven't taken a really close look at what Nebraska has coming back, uh, or or how they're projected. I know they're going to have a new head coach this year, um, but the game being in Miami, um, you know, this being such a critical year, Miami having you know Brad Kaya coming back, and, and which should be a pretty decent amount of talent. Um, you know, that, that's a fair statement. I think if they don't come out 3-0. and But, you know, they're almost guarding against that factor by putting so much uh, emphasis on, on the ACC Coastal. They could say, hey, we lost in Nebraska, but we still won the Coastal. If that comes to fruition. They, they give themselves a backup plan, which is another thing that a lot of fans complain about if you – are heavy on the social media, that there always seems to be an excuse, um, you know, a misdirection, so to speak, when something goes wrong. Um, There's always something um, said about, you know, something else that needed needed to be done or something else that they were striving for. So, interesting perspective. And that brings me to the next topic. I I think we could talk about the next university president um, all day. And I want to bring these podcasts back to where we do them weekly. So maybe next weekend when we do next podcast, if there's a new president named, we can all do our research on said person and, and talk more about them. But I want to get back to the on-the-field stuff here. I'm going to bring Daniel in first on this one. 
Um, Daniel, what are your overall thoughts on the spring? Miami played their spring game. They wrapped up practices. They played their spring game a couple weeks back. Um, by all accounts, uh, the defense was way ahead of the offense. Um, you know, some new players and some old players, uh, you know, made some strides. Um, you know, the backup quarterback's position was interesting. The offensive line was interesting. The defensive back seemed really improved. Give me your take on, on what you've seen and heard of the spring uh, for University of Miami football. Well, I mean, I'm going to be really, when we start the season off, you know, I'm going to really be paying a lot of attention to the offensive line. I feel like, you know, without a good offensive line, especially with this upcoming season, you know, we've got some big games coming up, and, you know, we just need to be able to run the ball consistently. Um, in, a few, in the past few years, they've been okay, but sometimes they just, you know, they don't show up, you know, as much as we want them to, especially last year or the year before, you know, when we really thought they were the strength of the team. So, you know, we have a, quite a few young players on the, on the offensive line, but, you know, we had some true freshmen last year getting a lot of experience on that line, so that's always a good positive thing. But, you know, year B and um, all the running backs, I mean, it's really interesting to see what Walton can do once he gets here and, you know, gets, you know, into the program and everything, but, you know, off spring, watching defense do well and offense coming into a slow start, I mean, it's that's how the spring usually typically is. You know, defense is usually better during springtime. But, I mean, I don't really take much from the spring game, to be honest with you. I mean, every year it, it's, it's, it seems like a lopsided affair. You know, it could, you know, it could go either way, but... I think, uh, you know, going forward, I'm still excited about Brad Kaya, who, I mean, I think he threw a few interceptions, if I'm not mistaken, but at the same time, um, you know, he's he's going to be, you know, it, it's, it's going to be Kaya above next year. Like, hopefully he improves and gets better, and I believe he will. I mean, he has a good work ethic, and with Coley back there as um, the QB coach, you know, I believe, you know, the, the, um, the development is going to happen. Uh, yeah, Kyer Bust could could be the mantle of this team for next year. I mean, they're they're still good players um, all over the roster, but with the graduations of Duke Johnson, uh, Clive Walford, Phil Dorsett, and Eric Flowers uh, for going a senior season to go to the NFL, they're losing a lot of talent. Um, Scott, I want to get to you. I, I me and you have talked um, a lot about the spring, what we've seen. Um, give me your thoughts. What, what were some strengths coming out of spring? What were some weaknesses? Uh, what were some things that you you really um, want to see improvement on? Spring football really doesn't carry a lot of weight with me. I, I think it's it's premature because with a program like Miami that seems to lack depth at certain key positions, we're really waiting for these freshmen to come in and prove that they're worth their scholarships and that they're going to be able to come in and contribute right away. Uh, you know, gone are the days where you wouldn't count on a freshman to to, to participate. Uh, you know, we we need everyone that, that we can suit up to, to participate this season. Uh, I, I believe that, that Tom's hit it right on the head when uh, he said that it all starts up front. Uh, the offensive line is going to have to get a bigger surge. Um, I liked what I saw out of that group this this uh, spring. I think that with uh, Milo coming in uh, and St. Louis 
and Brendan Luftis. I think those guys are all going to get good work in in the fall, and I think we're going to build up some depth there. So in case we do have injuries, uh, we'll be able to work in different people in, in different packages. I think that the biggest key for Miami this year is going to be game management. And Kaya is a great game manager, aside from being a very talented and gifted player. Um, I, I spoke with Brad last night at the baseball game, and he, he's he's excited with, with how the, the spring went. But we've got to put Brad, and this is where it stems from, from coaching, we need to put Brad in successful situations that he can take care of and materialize. We can't have him in third and long. When you have Miami on third and long, it's going to neutralize your backfield. And you're going to have Joe Yearby and Mark Walton, who I think are both going to rush for over 1,000 yards this season. I think that's the way Miami's going to have their offense set up, is, is they're going to be a very dynamic and explosive offense. Uh, but they need to be able to get to the edge. And if they can get Walton and Yerby to the edge and get them running between the tackles, then I think it's going to set up the play action very nicely with Stan Dobard. And I think you're going to see Cager and Coley work very well together. Um, I think, you know, Rashawn's going to come back and he's going to have a good season. Um, but it's really putting them in the third and manageable situations. As Al Golden likes to say, Third down and fourth down are his downs. Those are his money downs. Well, if Al's going to cash a check this year, he's got to win those money downs, and he's got to be at third and three, third and four. We can't be coming in at third and 11 and third and 12 and expect Kaya to hit uh, on a long pass on, on, on every single drive. We need to be able to manage the clock and manage the uh, downs effectively and get into third and manageable. If I had to pick out three words that were going to determine the success of the season, it would be third and manageable. We need to be in a position where we can keep the drives going and keep the defense off the field. And that was something that we couldn't do last year. And as you saw, it cost us dearly against Georgia Tech, which basically set the table for the, for the rest of their losses. And they couldn't do the same against Florida State, which basically killed the rest of the season. Uh, well done, Scott. Um, I'm just going to add some things, um, some thoughts about, um, you know, everything I've heard and seen and, um, you know, touching base with our guys that were there and touching base with some of the other folks that were there. Um, for, first about the offensive line, um, you got to remember Casey McDermott's coming off an of injury. Um, Taylor Gabois is coming off an of injury. Um, so those guys are not at 100%. You mentioned some of the freshmen, Bar Milo, um, Tyree St. Louis, these are guys that are going to compete um, for for playing time. And I, I feel confident the offensive line with our Kehoe um, at the helm is going to get it together. I, I really like Nick Linder. Um, I think he's going to be a stud. Uh, Jahair Jones is a guy that, if you watch his film at Juco, plays with a real nasty streak. Uh, I, I think they have the guys. they they got to get the continuity, but I think they have the guys. Um, I thought this was a really important spring um, for Stacy Coley, uh, after you know an All-American freshman season, he was basically uh, you know I, I don't want to say terrible. It's hard to call a wide receiver terrible. I mean, I don't thought, I don't think that maybe he was utilized um, in the same way as too many wide receiver screens. But I thought this was an important spring for him uh, to have a bounce back year. And by all accounts, um, he, he's having a nice. He had a really nice spring. Um, 
he made all the catches. He made some sensational plays. Um, he seemed to get his explosiveness back, and he seems to be developing into more of a complete uh, receiver from everything I've heard and seen. Um, so, And also Braxton Barrios, I, I've heard good things about him. He's really um, relishing his role. And um, you mentioned Rashawn Scott. It's going to be an important year for him. They They need him maybe to take over the big play role. I mean, Coley can make big plays too, but they, they need to definitely have the weapons around uh, Brad Kaya um, to where if he does get into a third and long, which as you eloquently pointed out, Scott, we don't want him in too many of those, but if he does get in third and longs, it's going to happen every once in a while. He needs the guys that could go out and make plays for him. Um, so that's interesting. I, and the other thing I wanted to bring up too about the spring that I've heard is that, um, and we've heard this before, and, you know, it hasn't carried over to the season. It's been, you know, we've heard about big-time spring um, developments in the defensive backfield. Then the season starts and guys aren't finding the ball. But by all accounts, it seems like the defensive backs, um, Artie Burns and Corn Elder and, um, you know, Deion Bush and especially Jamal Carter uh, had really big spring games and had really big springs overall. So, that's something we could hope for. I mean, if they have a defense that can take the ball away, it'll, it'll take all that much more pressure off of Kaya and the offense and um, the offensive line and everybody else. So, um, and, and my last thought on that is I have a lot of um, concern if, uh, about linebacker depth for Miami. You know, obviously they're losing Denzel Perryman. Um, they're sliding Raphael Kirby over to the middle. Uh, it seems like Jermaine Grace made a lot of plays during the spring. He's a name that came up very often. Um out of Al Golden's mouth about a guy that had, you know, had a good practice or had a good, you know, scrimmage. So hopefully he turns into a big-time playmaker. Uh, Al Kadeem Muhammad's back, so they need him. Or and or him or Chad Thomas to have a big season, to me, will be huge too. You know, eight, nine, ten sacks out of those guys. So, I, you know, I agree with you guys. Spring can be blown out of proportion, but, but there are good stories that come out of the spring too. Um, There's one more know. position that... There's one more position, Jerry, that I think we need to take a look at, and that's the place-kicking position. Okay, Matt yeah. Davis is no longer on the team. So you have Michael Badgley, and there's a walk-on that we signed uh, to a, a – not a scholarship, but he was a primary walk-on uh, a year ago. His name is John Semarine from Cypress Bay High School in Weston. Uh, I look for him He's seriously competing for this job in the fall. I think that the kicking competition is going to be very interesting to watch as fall practice comes. I, I think the special teams as a whole is going to be something to watch. I, I think the special teams was extremely disappointing last year. I mean, downright terrible. I don't remember the last time Miami just felt like, I mean, even in their down years, um, you know, if you want to go back to the Randy Shannon era before Al Golden got there, all the previous years, that you might consider unsuccessful since Al Golden's take over. I, I can't remember them feeling like they didn't have a threat uh, in the kicking game to take one back to the house. They've always had athletes. For whatever reason, Coley just didn't have it last year, and they stuck with them. They didn't try anybody else uh, back there. I'm not worried. I'm not worried about the return game. I'm more worried about the ability uh, to hit field goals and the ability to drive the ball deep and have the other team start inside their own 20 on a regular, consistent basis. 
Yeah, I mean that that is important too, and 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 coverage as a whole is important. Um, you would think that you know even Miami on their worst recruiting day uh, would have the type of athletes that um, can can cover kicks, uh, get down the field quick, and like I said, have a guy that can take it to the house. Oh, there's one other position I wanted to bring up, and I'll, I'll get both of your guys' thoughts on this too. Um, it seems by all accounts that uh, tight end is actually developed into a strength, believe it or not. I was I was seriously concerned uh, going into the offseason with Clyde Walford headed to the NFL. But it seems like uh, Stan Dobart's doing well and some of the other younger guys are doing well. What, what have you guys heard? I'll start with you on this one, Scott, about the tight end position. I heard it's really become a position of strength. I mean, I, I'm hearing from a lot of people inside the organization that they're very pleased with the progress that Dobart's been making. David Noku has been doing very well. Um, I also believe that um, O'Donnell, uh, uh, Dake O'Donnell, has has been playing very well. He had a very good spring game. Uh, Jerome Washington, the uh, junior college transfer, uh, he's also been been coming in uh, in shape. Uh, he's you know he looks good. He's he's not a uh, a transfer like Michael Weiss, where it's going to take him a year to actually get in shape and see the field. Uh, I, I think that they're going to be able to count on him. Uh, he blocks well. He catches the ball well. I mean, he 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 of all of them, I think, could be the the, the best of the bunch. And I think that he also is faster than Clive. And I think he has the ability to run the seam route uh, and and drag defenders with him. He could be the closest thing that we've had to a uh, pass-catching tight end with speed since Jimmy Graham. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, we only had Jimmy Graham for one year, uh, but he he made an impact. He certainly made an impact at the next level. Um, Jimmy Graham was (laughs) one of my favorite basketball players. Unfortunately, he only played about 10 to 16 minutes a game because he couldn't stay out of foul trouble. But, Daniel, what are your thoughts on, um, on the tight end position Brad Kaya really used uh, Walford a lot last year, and you know he he really, as a young quarterback, went to security blankets last year. What do you think about the tight ends for this year? Well, I think you know this goes back to Larry Scott's hiring. I think I think there's a direct correlation between Larry Scott and the tight end. You know, actually getting production out of that position, and obviously, you know, um, the, the system that Kaya is running, and you know how he tends to go toward, towards the um, the tight end, and you know, as a safety blanket or security blanket. You know, and quarterbacks prior, like maybe Harris and, and Steve Morris, you know, they just they never really checked down to the tight end as much. I mean, that's sure, that's that's a fact. But yeah, I like the I like the type of athletes that they are recruiting at that position. Um, I feel like they have, you know, they bring up they bring those these tall receivers in, um, you know, and then you know maybe they'll they'll build into it. They come into it as a tight end, like they their body builds up. Um, the guy from New Jersey, uh, David Najoku, I believe. Um, yeah, I mean, but I really like Spanish Debar. I like the, as a fan perspective, you could say, like the swag that he plays with. He seems, you know, he seems like he's not going to be punked out by anybody on the field, which I think we kind of need that attitude. I mean, I, I don't know if, I, I mean, I guess there's always those type of players on the team, but I mean, if you want to go back to the days where we were dominant, yeah, I mean, if, I don't know if you, I'm sure you guys watched the, the latest 30 for 30, which came out a couple months ago, but, um, it's just about having an attitude, you know what I mean? The one to win, the one to you know get that opponent's face. 
But uh, yes, I like Chance Bard. I like Jerome Washington, and I, I'm interested to see what Herndon, Herndon can do, the sophomore. I think when you yeah, look at the checkdown route, Jerry, that the, the Tom's mentioned, he, you know, he was very accurate when he said that, that Morris and Ja'Cory would check down, but not necessarily to the tight end. Uh, they were looking at the four- and five-yard check down to the running back who would always have two linebackers on him, whereas Kaya would check yeah. down to a tight end who would have a mismatch because he would either have a linebacker or a cornerback on him, and they were usually seven or eight yards downfield. And I think that's why you have far more success checking down to a tight end who's usually in a mismatch situation than you do checking down to to a running back who's going to be in the middle of the field. But yeah, I mean, and, and a tight end tends to be a more natural. I mean, there's there's exceptions. I mean, I think O'Donnell is more of a blocking tight end. I, I think there's, um, like I said, exceptions to rule. But in the case of like a Clive Walford, he's going to be a more natural receiver. He's going to make himself more readily available to a quarterback than maybe your your average running back. Um, so that's a good point. I, I want to bring up one more thing before we uh, shift gears, and I'll ask both of you guys your opinions on this. I really think, you know, for all the talk of staff changes and everything that's come up, uh, and this one wasn't by design, it was done out of necessity, I really like the hiring of, of Kevin Beard. Um, I, watching some of the film of him working with the receivers and some of the things I've heard about Coley and Barrios and their improvement, I, I really think this is going to be an underrated hiring. Now, whether it translates, you know, to a Coastal Division title or something bigger, you know, I, I I don't know that a wide receiver coach hiring can, you know, can have that big of an impact. We'll, we'll have to see. They're going to have to have other things happening uh, to reach all their goals. But I, I really like this hiring. Uh, I'll start with you on this one, Scott. You agree with me? You think uh, Beard was a great hiring for this staff? I do agree. I think KB was a great hire. And if nothing else, if he accomplishes nothing else this season at UM, but he can get Sam Bruce who he coached at university school two years ago to sign on the dotted line on National Letter of Intent signing day, and it's a win. I mean, I, I don't expect much out of your position coaches outside of recruiting uh, and some teaching going on in spring and fall practice uh, because if you don't have it by then, then you're just not going to have it. Uh, I, don't, I don't think you're going to take a wide receiver coach and have him work with a player during the season and have him develop as a player during the season. I'm counting on Kevin Beard to be able to bring the swag back to UM at the, the the recruiting of the receiver position. And if he can keep Deontay Mullins and Sam Bruce and the rest of the package that they have with Jake Allison coming in, then I will be very impressed with the hire. But I really like the hire. I interviewed KB, um, you know, and wrote a story for State of the U when he was hired. And uh, I, I, I like it. Um, as much as I'd like the KB hire, I dislike the Randy Melvin hire. Uh, yeah, I'm with you there. I, I was trying to keep it positive, and uh, you know, Randy Melvin's been around, and um, you know, I watched some of the the film that the the university released on him running drills with the players. Uh, seems like an intense, focused guy. Um, I just thought maybe they could have made a a bigger splash with that hire, considering that. Uh, a defensive line has perennially been a position of disappointment, uh, you know, the past five or six years. Um, 
in terms of production and things like that. I, I you know, there are a lot of names thrown around, um, and they the Melvin seemed like a, a loyalty hire. Um, you know, of course that's speculative, but it seemed like it was Al Golden going to the well with one of his guys. Um, whereas when they went with Kevin Beard, it was kind of like a thinking outside the box move, in my opinion. Melvin was kind of like an old, loyal, you know, Al Golden guy to bring in. So, uh, Daniel, I don't want to leave you out of this discussion. What are your thoughts on the hirings of, of, of both Melvin and KB? Well, KB, you know, I approve of it. I mean, hopefully he can become, like Scott said, you know, a bona fide recruiter for us. Maybe something like Travaris Robinson. You know, I'm sure you guys know that name. So, I mean, hopefully we can get, you know, someone at, you know, someone a little younger, you know, like, you know, KB, who who maybe relates a little more to these recruits and, you know, who who came from Miami. He's from Miami. So, you know, he knows what they're going through and everything. So hopefully, you know, he can turn things around. But at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to get these top tier players, you know, from Miami stay home unless, you know, you're winning, you know. I mean, that, that's, that's if you, if Miami wins, it's I think it's, you know, it's a pretty done deal. People, they'll stay home, you know, but... Everybody's loyal, but they're—I believe—I feel like they're loyal to like to you know success. You know, they don't want to go to Miami if if, nothing, if there's nothing successful. But um, and obviously you get those diehard ones, but that, that's few and rare. But um, the Melvin hire, um, I agree with you. I believe they could have made a, a bigger splash with that one. But at the end of the day, I mean, what I mean, that's 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 how Golden hires his crew. You know what I mean? I mean. He, has he really ever made a splash? Well, McCauley was out a splash for him, but he offered Coley, um, you know, play calling rights, which Florida State didn't offer him. And you know, he's from Miami, so I mean, that was a good hire and, and it definitely helped recruiting. But does he make splashes? He doesn't even like he doesn't he doesn't make firings. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, if if Golden has a successful year, you know, good for him. But if he doesn't, you know, people are going to point this. They're going to point to this because. Not not just the Melvin hiring or the KB hiring, but they're gonna to point to the fact that you know throughout the years, he maybe he was loyal to a fault, and you know that's why he, his team didn't improve, or you know there was not any drastic improvement to get him to the next level. But that's just my general feeling about that situation. And I, I agree with you 100%, Daniel. At the end of the day, it, winning will take care of any recruiting problems, and and that's been their biggest problem. Because they brought in decent classes. Speaking of winning, that's a great segue for our next topic. We're going to completely shift gears here and talk a little bit of Miami Hurricanes baseball. The Canes uh, wrapped up a three-game sweep of Virginia Tech today. They've won eight in a row. Uh, they're leading the ACC Coastal by a wide margin. Now, I'm going to start with you on this one, Scott, and I'm going to ask you kind of a, a direct question here. Uh, this may be an obvious one, but... I watched a lot of Canes baseball last year. Even when they put together that huge winning streak, it felt like every game was – and they've had their share of come from behind this year, don't get me wrong. But it felt like every game was down to the wire, just barely getting by. Uh, this year, I feel like they're they're blowing teams out more. It feels like the offense just has more firepower. Uh, uh, David Thompson, you know, had that huge role. Um, you know, I think he's up to nine home runs this year. He – Tons of RBIs. Zach Collins is, is you know, putting together solid numbers, uh, protecting Thompson very well. Um, Garrett Kennedy's been on fire. I, I mean, this lineup just feels a lot deeper and a lot more complete. 
And I just have a whole different feeling of confidence about this team this year. Uh, would you agree with me, or am I, or am I judging this too much on, on just some of the lopsided scores? This could be one of the best teams Jim Morris has had since he's been at UM. Uh, he's got a pitching staff that I would put up against any team in the country. Uh, you know, you can start from Woodry to Suarez to Sosa. You can throw in Brian Garcia. You can throw in Danny Garcia. They 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 put a freshman in last night to uh, get some work in in the seventh inning. Uh, Grab a name of Daniel Briggy from Hudson, New York, uh, who's an outstanding talent. Uh, they just have a lot of arms, and they can piece together shutouts and piece together get get five or six innings out of your starter. You know, get seventy pitches, keep them rested for tournament time, uh, and then you can bring in your middle relievers. You got plenty of guys you can count on for an inning, and then you bring in Garcia, your your All American closer. Uh, I, I think that they are outstanding on the hill. They they are very aggressive at the plate. Um, you can start from Ricky Eusebio and go all the way down to Carl Chester. You know, Carl Chester is a very interesting story. He's batting in the nine hole right now, uh, but he's been the leadoff hitter most of the year. Uh, he's a true freshman. Um, he is not coming along as well as they'd like to with, with the bat, but you need his speed on the base pass. He was batting, I believe, 286 going into last night's game. He hit a shot with the bases loaded last night that I thought was going to clear the wall, but but it didn't. Uh, and it was just a tremendous shot for Carl, and, and, and I couldn't have been happier for him because he's a great kid. Um, but uh, I, I think that he's going to he's going to get better as the season progresses, and I want to see him peak come ACC tournament time. I'd like to see them win a tournament in Greensboro and not have to sweat the regional like they did last year. Um, I think that this is a very solid team. Look, look, look what DT did today. He hit number 10. Uh, he's playing very well at third base. Zach Collins, the, the catcher, he hit number five or six last night. Uh, that ball's still going over the right field wall. Uh, I thought he was going to hit the parking garage. Um, you know, you, you've, you've got role players that, you know, are just constantly getting on base. Uh, the second baseman, George Eskandarian, he's always finding a way to get on. Chris Barr is having a great year. Uh, you know, you can go anywhere in that lineup and find guys that, that have success stories. And it's it's a different guy every night. You know, we, we sit up in the press box and discuss who we want to talk to at the end of the game because they'll, they'll bring in two players. And for the early part of the season, it was always the same two guys. And, you know, now it's it's Garrett Kennedy. It's it's George Eskandarian coming in with the big hit. It's DT. It's, it's Zach Collins hitting the game winner. You know, it, it's really a lot of different players contributing, anyone from, from one through nine. And uh, I, I just did a quick stat check on you. Carl Chester's hitting 262. Not bad. That's actually the lowest of any of the Hurricanes regulars uh, on the lineup. You got Kennedy at, at the top hitting 383. Iskadarian's hitting 375. David Thompson with the monster numbers 352 with 10 homers, 48 RBIs, 96 total bases, a 676 slugging percentage. I mean, that's like. You know, I mean, if he I, I doesn't win think... the Golden Spikes Award, it's a crime. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm kind of a neophyte when it comes to college baseball, but I've been following it long enough to know that 
that even with the metal bats and, and you know, a little more offense uh, than, than in the pros, that those are ridiculous numbers for 37 games. Um, the, thing so about Carl, the, thing about, the thing about Carl Chester is he's probably the fastest Hurricane baseball player that we've had in years, and that says a lot because we've had some fast guys on that team. Well, Iskandarian's you know, got 13 steals, Eusebio's got 12, and Chester's got nine, so they're they're also running the bases pretty well. They're also, uh, you know, creating some things. They're not just using Thompson and and Collins and the power in the lineup. They're they're, you know, which they did a lot of that last year when when they weren't getting as many extra base hits. So that, that's impressive. They they're a very versatile lineup. Well, there's a couple things you got to look at also. That you know, one thing that that affects everyone, but, you know, maybe it, it it affects DT and Zach a little bit more because of their strength and power. They changed the actual cover of the baseball this year. And it's almost like a seamless ball. It still has the seams on it, but they're not protruding as much as they have in the traditional baseball. So it, it it's... It, the ball is flying off the bat a little bit quicker. Now, it's flying off a little quicker for everybody, but for the Canes, you know, they're pounding out 11, 12 hits a game, and they're scoring 11, 12 runs a game. Uh, and that was one thing that I noticed at the beginning of practice is that they're getting a lot of elevation on the ball. And, the, you know, Jim Morris will tell you that, that the new ball does make a little bit of a difference. I That's, that's very intriguing. I, I had no idea that uh... – they had changed the baseball up. That's pretty pretty interesting stuff, Scott. Um, Daniel, I'm going to get to you in one second. I just want to bring up one other thing. Um, for anybody that's listening, Scott put together a really nice article on Ron Frazier um, earlier this week. And if you don't, if you haven't gone by and you're a big baseball fan, um, you and baseball fan, definitely go by and read it. Some some really interesting stuff. I'm going to give Scott a little chance to talk about that article in a second. But um, I just want to mention that uh, if you believe in these sort of things. Um, with the Canes honoring Frazier, uh, between that and Scott's article, maybe this is the good karma story that Miami needs to make it back to Omaha. But, uh, <laughs> Scott, what do you think on, on my thoughts on karma, first of all, and, and, and tell anybody that's listening a little about your article? Well, uh, I, I don't know if karma is going to bring us back to Omaha. I, I, I think that, you know, Ron posthumously is still – has his hand on the UM program and and he he guides us every day. Uh, I know that he guides me every day. Uh, Ron Frazier was the the baseball coach at the University of Miami when when I was there back in the late 80s, and he was there from the inception in the early 60s. Uh, not from the first day, but maybe the second or third day. I, I think he came in in '64, uh, and the program had started in '63, uh, somewhere around there. Uh, but, you know, Ron was the first full-time baseball coach, and he, he held the position for a lot of years, and he always had a great uh, love for the game and for the university, and he used to host dinners to raise money on the field at Mark Light Stadium. Um, it really was Ron's house. They called him the Wizard of College Baseball because he found a way to raise money um, you know, one thing about Ron is that he, in the early days, when, when they didn't have money to buy new baseballs, he used to paint the baseballs white so the players would have the feel that they were throwing a clean white ball. 
and he just represents everything that's good about the University of Miami in the springtime. You know, uh, when whenever I drive down down uh, Miller Drive to get to the ballpark, I always think of Ron. Um, you know, and you know there was a story that that I wrote about where uh, I was a cub reporter coming in in 1987, right after we lost the uh, Fiesta Bowl, and I was transitioning from football to college baseball. And I had also transferred from Florida State to Miami, so I had left the, the confines of Dick Hauser Stadium, and I was now coming into Mark Light Stadium, which which had so much notoriety at the time and 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 so much prestige. It was like walking into, you know, a temple or a palace. And uh, I'm sitting and I'm talking to Frazier. We're sitting in the dugout, and uh, all of a sudden I, I get pelted with a relay from second to first on double play that was an errant throw, and I got pelted in in, in, in the uh, stomach region. And I got to tell you, it really hurt. And, uh, you know, Fraser just looked at me, and uh, he was laughing, and, you know, he, he made sure I was okay. And, you know, and then, and then we joked about it, and he said, he said, yeah. He said, don't worry, Scott, that kid's not going to hurt you. But then he looked at George Robles, the shortstop, and he said, if he threw it, he'd kill you. And uh, that, that was just the way Coach Frazier was. He was always very light, lighthearted. Always, always a good. Uh, he was a great quote. He was um, just a a wonderful human being, wonderful humanitarian. I mean, he did so much for the game. He did so much for the university. You know, he was the one that had Mark Light Stadium built. I mean, he convinced the Light family to put up the money to build the stadium. And a lot of schools from up north now come down and use our stadium, even if they're not playing the U. Uh, they use our stadium to play other local teams so they can get all their games in, in in the spring when it's 30 and 40 degrees back at home. Uh, right. I remember, I remember I could go to the stadium on any given day and there would be two free games being played. And uh, I just think that, that Ron is the greatest – coach that I have ever had the privilege of being around on a daily basis. Uh, I, I hold him in such high regard. He uh, he He's very comparable to Bobby Bowden, who I also got to know very well when I was at Florida State. But Ron and I were a lot closer. And, uh, I mean, Ron and I and Dan Levitard of ESPN fame, you know, Danny and I uh, went to school together and worked on the school paper together. And, uh, we would just sit, the three of us, and just talk baseball, talk life. And uh, we would just sit with a couple bottles of Gatorade and just just talk baseball. We would talk about the 6-4-3 double play and, you know, talk about what to do in certain situations, uh, you know, on the base path. Uh, there was one other interesting uh, footnote. Uh, Jerry, I don't know if you know this uh, or if you knew this before you read my article. Uh, but I am the only undefeated assistant coach in University of Miami baseball history. Uh, I, did not, I did not know that, and that was pretty. That was some pretty intriguing stuff. Um, I, I'll let you go and finish the story. I I, I laughed at the. I, I'm sure you're going to tell us now, but I laughed at the part about the uh, missed signs. <laughs> not the missed sign, the missed uh, uh, stop sign. I should say. Uh, that, that was pretty funny to read. 
I'm sitting in one of my sports journalism classes, and the teacher gives us the the professor gives us an assignment to write a first person story about doing something that we want to do for fun. And you know, I, I knew there had to be something involving UM athletics that I wanted to do. This was in the spring; there was no spring football. So I couldn't pull a George Clinton and try to play quarterback and do you know do the paper lion thing. So I called Ron and, and I said, Coach, look, I got this assignment. You know, what can I do? He said, well, how about if we put a uniform on you and we stick you out in right field? Now, I knew the schedule that we had coming up that week. You know, we really didn't have a lot of big teams. We weren't in the ACC at that point. We weren't even in the Big East. We were still an independent. And we used to play games at Florida Southern College, Florida Memorial College. We would play Flagler. We would play Barry University for a three-game set. Um and uh, University of Maryland, Eastern Shore. So I knew that I didn't have big main teams coming in where I, I was going to have a lot of pressure. But I said, you know, I, I really don't want to do that. If a ball's hit my way, it can be really embarrassing watching me drop it or get hit in the head with it. So he said, how about if we put a uniform on you and we let you coach first base? I said, you know, that I can do. I still had fears of being hit by a foul ball, but I said, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So they trot me out in uniform. Ron teaches me the signals with Coach Jim Pizzolatto at the time, who was the first base coach. And Joe Nelson is at the plate. And uh, Joe didn't really have a lot of notoriety during his career, but he, he was a good role player. He was, he, 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 he was a good player. And uh, he's rounding first, and I'm sitting there putting the stop sign on, and you know, I'm telling him not to go to second because he's going to get thrown out. He just totally disregards my stop sign, runs right through it, and gets picked off in second. Well, that was the third out of the inning. And with that, my coaching career was over. We get back into the <laughs> dugout, and we scored one run that inning, and everyone's congratulating me for helping them bring in one run. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Ron, and, and he's, he's just tearing apart Joe Nelson. So I walk over to see what's going on, and, and I see Joe like – laughing a little bit and he's like but but coach it wasn't a coach it was scott scott was putting out the stop sign i thought i could make it and coach frazier just looked at him and he said i don't care who the coach is he said when a coach puts out the stop sign you stop and with that he had him run wind sprints the next morning wow that's crazy no uh, i'm still waiting i'm still waiting for them to call to retire my number (laughs) well don't uh don't stand by the phone for too long, but <laughs> still that that's a really cool story. Uh, you know, that's that's pretty awesome. Um uh I, I yeah, I could imagine that was probably, you know, just at the time being a college student, being given that opportunity, I must have been some thrill and um it, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. If I can just say one thing, on April twenty fourth, the University of Miami plays Florida State at seven o'clock. At 4 o'clock, they're having a ceremony to dedicate a statue in Ron's honor. Uh, they're, they're having a big statue of, of, of Coach Frazier put into Champions Cove uh, in uh, the, the DeMari Family Champions Park at Mark Light Stadium. And for anyone that can go, it's going to be a great experience. Uh, I'm flying my son in. Uh, that's how, how big of an occasion I think it is, and, and it shows – how much of an influence Ron had in my life. 
Um, and I think that you'll truly appreciate UM baseball more by not only reading my story, but by learning more about Coach Frazier and learning what he did to start this program from scratch and basically run it on a shoestring budget until they started making some money. Right. Well, I mean, we'll be sure. Um, State of the U will be all over Twitter and Facebook and everything else promoting that, and I, I'm sure there's going to be a huge crowd for that. Um, you know, my my last takeaway on your article was it was, to me, the, I mean, the stories about you coaching first base and stuff were really cool. But to me, it really came through um, just what a what a class act Ron Frazier was. That that's that's what I felt in reading it. Um, so I encourage anybody that's a huge UM baseball fan to take a look at your article. Definitely go out uh, for the ceremony. If I had any chance whatsoever, I would go out there. Um, I'd head down to South Florida and, and take a look. Um, but good, really I, good have, I have I, I, I have learned that there's a new social media app called Periscope. And if I can figure uh-huh. out how to use it, I'll tape it for you. <laughs> All right, awesome. Uh, if you, yeah, you know, if you could, you could always transfer like a video from your cell phone to like YouTube to something like that. I mean, anything. I'm sure hmm. UM will probably have something. UM will probably have something on. Uh, I, one one thing that I, I figured out uh, last summer was to go to YouTube daily and go to Keen's All Access on YouTube. And uh, you'll get all kinds of goodies. They, the university does a great job. Uh, this is off topic of baseball or, or any one individual sport because they do it for everything. Uh, I, I think the university deserves, deserves credit, whether this is coming from Blake James or just their marketing department, you know, people like Amy Woodruff um, and so on and so forth. They really do a good job with the media in terms of um, providing us looks at what's going on. They post a lot of videos. Um, you know, they they invite us. I mean, a lot of that's up to the coaches, but when they can, they invite us to the practices. They they do a lot of things to give us access. And kind of getting back to what we started this whole podcast on with Shalala, um, I'm not crediting her per se for that, but she has, you know, starts at the top and, and it starts with the AD and so on and so forth. It goes down. I, I think the university has done a really good job. It gets overlooked, um, you know, and they're not perfect. There are some things they could do better. But as a, you know, quote-unquote member of the media, I, I really feel like they do try really hard um, to help us out and, and to give us unique looks and to try new things in terms of, um, you know, how they promote the athletics at UM. So I give them kudos for that. Now, Daniel, you've been sitting here for a long time listening to this talk. I apologize for that. You have a tough act to follow with uh, <laughs> Scott telling the story about how he's the only undefeated assistant coach in the history of UM uh, athletics. But I just want to bring you in for a second. I don't know how closely you follow UM baseball, but what are your thoughts on the on the team so far this season? Uh, first of all, you know, that's, that's a great story he shared there. It was really informative, and I'll definitely take a look at the article which I probably should have done already. Um, but, you know, it's it's imperative when you, baseball, you need pitching. And Sosa, last, his last two starts, he's um, only allowed a total of four hits and just one run. So, and that's 13, you know, 13 innings, which is pretty good. And, and when it comes to offense, um, I think it's really important that David Thompson, is, he's healthy, you know. I mean, I feel like it's the first time you know, in his UM career where he's consistently you know, producing, and I think that, that correlates with, you know, his health. 
So it, you know, it's good to see that he's able to stay healthy and and you know put up these numbers. And you know, when we when we got him out of high school, a lot of people thought, man, he's going to get drafted. And, He's, you know, he's going to get drafted really high. He's going to leave. You know, and he, he you know, and, and it didn't really, you know, I don't think he wanted, I don't think he got drafted where he wanted to get drafted. If he got, even got drafted, I'm not even quite sure. I can remember that far back. But, um, you know, he came here and got, you know, he had some injuries the first couple of years. But, you know, it's good to see that he's doing, he's producing so well. You know, he, he went, I believe um, today he went two for three and with three um, RBIs, which, you know, that's what, um, led led to his bumping up to team leading team leading total of 48 um, RBIs, which you know it's important. But uh, yeah, it's it's just good to see some really good you know consistent production out of that guy. Yeah, you you brought up Thompson's health, and that's something that I had completely forgotten. You know, going into the show tonight, I I know going into the season, again watching uh, the Kings All Access YouTube video. I watched every single one of the, the videos on the, that they had where they're interviewing players, and, and that was a big focus in talking to Thompson, that he felt good finally. He was healthy. And, um, you know, the on-the-field results speak for themselves. Um, so, so good stuff, guys. All right, so we've yeah, done Jerry, a lot of talking. I'm sorry, go ahead, Scott. Just, just one so, uh, footnote from last night's baseball game. Duke Johnson threw out the first pitch uh, yep. against Virginia Tech last night. And you all remember the game that he had against Virginia Tech on that Thursday night in Blacksburg this last year. I uh, yes, sir. I looked at the I looked at the sports information director from Virginia Tech and I said, I bet that's the last guy that you wanted to see here this weekend. And, <laughs> no, no, no kidding. And I just found it ironic that we scored 14 runs on a night that Keith Johnson threw out the first pitch, uh, which which. Do you know how? Uh... I'm a Yankee fan, but does anybody know how the Marlins did? Because Duke Johnson threw out the first pitch for for the Marlins day too. Maybe they're trying to catch some of that uh, Miami Magic, uh, University of Miami Magic, I should say. But he he threw out the first pitch for the Marlins too. So Duke's keeping busy, um, throwing out a lot of first pitches. Are um, we talking about yeah. today or not? Uh, uh, we're yeah. Well, I think we might hold off on the draft because there's one more. We're we're running low on time, and there's one more topic I want to talk about. Um, today, um, and then close it out. But we, we we have plenty of time to talk the draft. Um, we have a number of articles on State of the U for anybody that's been reading. Uh, one of our interns did a great job. Madison Kramer put out an article today that was a behind the scenes look at uh, the pro day. Um, some good some good um, looks at some of the drills that were run. Um, you know, some highlights of some of the coaches that were there. Um, so if you get a chance to stop over by State of the U, definitely check that out. And we have a ton of articles with player profiles, uh, you know, um, what what they did at the Combine. Um, one of our other um, young writers did a great job interviewing Mel Kuyper Jr. If you get a chance to look at that, uh, that was Devin Tucker, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago put out an interview with Kuyper and all his thoughts. And he even had Duke Johnson going as late as the fourth round, which is interesting. And yours truly got a chance to talk to Clinton Portis, who's doing some work for Fox Sports South, um, you know, interviewing players and giving draft profiles and guys' thoughts on Denzel Perryman, um, Philip Dorsett, and others. We're, we're going to get into that, guys, so we're going to do – I'm going to try and make this podcast uh, every week occurrence now. Um, um, so we'll, we'll definitely get into that. But what I want to talk about, since it's fresh on my mind and since it was a big, you know, kind of big news this week um, – we did a complete show last week on University of Miami basketball. We 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 didn't talk about this because it hadn't happened yet. But Miami had two players transfer this week. 
Um, our behind-the-scenes guy, Josh DeCain, and I have talked um, for a long time about this. Josh Kaufman is one of our lead writers on basketball, and I have talked about this. And, of course, Charlie Strouser and I have talked, and um, I've gone back and forth on the message boards with a number of fans and their opinions, um, you know, all the Facebook groups. Um, we're very active this week, and I, I, I'll give my opinions, but first I want to talk to you guys, and I'll start with you on this one, Daniel. So Manu Lukant, um, sophomore point guard, junior to be out of Belgium, has had some really nice moments in two years at UM, announced that he was going to transfer. And the same day we learned that DeAndre Burnett, who's one of the most prolific scorers in you know South Florida high school history, um, and is coming off his redshirt freshman year at Miami, he certainly had... Uh, some ups to go along with some downs as well. Um, both announced that they were transferring. Uh, what are your thoughts? How big a loss are these guys? Um, and and what are your overall thoughts on them leaving? Well, when I heard Manu was leaving, um, you, know, there was, you know, there was some rumbling to that, but, um, you know, it's, it came out somewhat of a surprise. I mean, we we still have Rodriguez, you know, for another year, and then we have, um, you know, we, we have a, we have quite a few um, backup point guards, you know, young ones, Palmer and or if Newton maybe. Palmer, yeah. Um, yeah, so we we have we have quite a few backups. So I mean, at the point, and you know, we can always get someone else. And I think Manu, I, I just feel like in big games this year, or whenever he's pressured by a more athletic point guard, he was really struggling. Um, and I, I think it has to do with his size, but I mean, there's moments where he would make plays, and then I would like, you know, I would look at my friend like, what is, what is he doing? Like, and obviously, I don't want to just you know judge his time here of a few bad moments, but I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you know, his three point shooting and his free throws, you know, his his uh, you know ability to shoot free throws consistently, that's gonna be a loss. But um, when I found Burnett was leaving, that was I was I was uh, that was terrible. Um, this guy, yeah, he, like you said, he's instant offense, man. That guy was, I, I, you know, late game situations. The guy, you know, he sometimes he didn't play much at all during the game, and they're, you know, they're down late. They they just plug the guy in the game, and he would, uh, he would find some buckets for him, you know. Um, so I mean, he, he was instant offense, and in in a college game where you know sometimes offense, at least in the men's college game, where offense is sometimes hard to get, you know. And this guy, you know, you can get it whenever you really wanted to, and. He had he had a, he had an all around game when it comes to offense. He can threes, he can drive it. You know he was really good. So, I mean, I don't know where they're headed, but it's gonna be pretty interesting because he's you know I think he's. Good. I thought you know, this year on his team, I when I looked at the whole roster, I felt like maybe this guy Burnett um, had the best chance to eventually go pro because you know he he's just so. Uh, wow. I, mean, so, I, I know McLaren is good I, I too, but. I could not disagree with you more on that last point. I think you made some good points uh, up until then, but I, I, I don't think – Burnett is not a natural point guard and standing at six foot one as a yeah, shooting guard. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he, he has such a good offensive game. Like, I feel like he maybe he won't even – he probably won't get drafted, but I mean, he can find his way on the team. I mean, and there's always teams out there, like maybe like this year's, like the Miami Heat, you know, they have like so many D-League players. Tyler Johnson didn't get drafted, was a four-year player in college out of Fresno State, and this guy's lighting it up. I mean, well, me not lighting it up. I mean, he's had some pretty decent games, and it all comes, you know, from being an athlete and, for and, you know, just being able to shoot the ball, you know, having that, you know, just being a pure shooter. So, I mean, 
you know, obviously maybe, you know, maybe I overstated that a little bit, but I do think he's a big talent and we're going to be missing him at the end of the day. I, I have some strong opinions on the topic, but I, I want to give Scott the chance to, to give his first and then and then I'll give you guys my, my thoughts on, on both transfers in a second. But, Scott, go ahead. What, what are your thoughts on losing Manu and, and DeAndre? I think from a depth perspective, it's it, it's going to be a, a bad blow. Uh, the good thing is that it takes two scholarships off the books and allows us to bring in two more players. Um, I'm not upset really so much with losing LeCompte, even though I thought he, he was a, a good three-point shooter and I thought he was very consistent at, at, at the line. Uh, I'm more I'm more concerned with, with losing Burnett. Uh, I thought that he had the ability to to, to grow into a really good two player. Um, you know, I, I see him more as 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 a as a wing, as an off guard. Um, you know, playing the, the the two position as opposed to playing the one and running the point. Uh, and I would not be surprised to see him transfer to Florida State and go up and play with and and go to school with his brother. Well, Scott, that that would. That would be a definite possibility, except I, I would I would imagine, and I don't have confirmation on this, but I would imagine that uh, if you unblocked him, yeah, they're going to block yeah. him from going to another ACC school or anybody that's on UM's schedule. He'll probably have free run um, outside of ACC schools. But and and let me bring up something else, not to not to go overboard on on um, putting down that point, but I think Florida State has. They have Xavier Raton Mays, who's kind of like a combo guard, but played some point for them. Uh, they have one of the top 10 or 15 recruiting classes in the country coming in. I know they have a couple different guards coming in. That that That's going to be just as crowded a backcourt as Miami um, next year at FSU. Um, of course, him sitting out a year um, with the transfer and, and – and, um, you know, maybe Mays leaves to go to the NBA after sophomore year, but I, I, I think what's going to happen here with Burnett. I'm going to give you my thoughts in a second on on each player and their transfers and what it means to UM. I think you're going to see Burnett go to more of a mid-major, and here's my thought process. I am not trying to down the kid. I, I was extremely disappointed when I heard the news, and I think he's going to be a guy that could eventually score 20 points a game. I mean, Jim Laranaga's own words about him were bucky getter. At the same time, these type players, um, you know, he, he reminds me a little of Terrell Stoglin, who was at Maryland a couple of years ago, or even Jack McClinton um, that, that was at UM a couple of years back. Um, high-volume shooters that aren't, that aren't always high-percentage shooters but can get hot in a hurry. These type players need a lot of touches uh, to get their rhythm. Burnett's one of those guys that needs a lot of touches to get his rhythm. I don't think he's going to do well anywhere where he's in a crowded backcourt. I I think he needs to go somewhere and be the big fish in the little pond. And I'm not saying that in a disparaging way at all. It's just what I see in his game. He needs the green light to shoot as much as he wants. Now, let me give you my thoughts on him leaving. I, I wasn't terribly disappointed, and I'll tell you why. As much as I love his game, and I would have loved to have seen him come back and maybe be the sixth man for Miami and have games where he lights it up, I don't want him being the number one choice going into next year. In fact, I my thoughts, and I'll get much deeper on this, I, I cover it 
last week, but I'll leave this just for another time. I don't want Angel Rodriguez being the number one guy next year. To me, next year is all about Devon Reed and Sheldon McClellan taking over the team. They're both six foot six wing players with incredible. They both have incredible athleticism. They both have handles. They both can shoot. Those are the type of guys that when they take the ball to the basket, get the foul calls. Those are the type of guys that can shoot over smaller defenders, post up a little bit, that can score in a number of ways. Burnett leaving to me isn't that big of a loss because those are the two guys I want to see taking the crunch time shots. And you kind of saw in the NIT that those two guys kind of took the game over a little bit and and Miami was successful when they did. Now Burnett had a couple moments, but Burnett shot about 29% on three this year. That's not very good. I think he shot 34, 35% overall from the field. I'm not looking at a stat sheet, but that's not very good either. He's not a great passer. He's not a natural point guard. He's not that big at six foot one. Uh, you know, he's going to go score 20 someplace if he goes to a small school. I just don't think he was a good fit for what Miami has coming back next year. Uh, now, I'm the opposite of you guys. When I heard Manu was leaving, I was a little bit more upset. At the same time, I feel like Jaquan Newton had passed him in terms of upside and, and where he fits in next year because Newton is a six foot three guy, a little bigger, a little more explosive, probably a better defender. To Daniel's point, uh, LeCon didn't always take care of the ball very well this year, um, you know, which if you're a five ten point guard, you really need to do that really well. Um, but Manu was a great shooter. And, um, you know, if you look at the Duke game when he went for 23, uh, he took care of the ball at the end of the game and, and got to the free throw line and knocked them down to help them win that game. Uh, big time. So I was a little bit more upset about Manu, but I think in the grand scheme of things, a couple more small points. I'm not that upset with either of these guys leaving. Miami needs more bigs on their roster, not just for next year, but for, for future years with Tanya Jakiri graduating next year. They they need a developmental big or, or a transfer that is not a graduate transfer or a transfer that has a couple of years of eligibility uh, to balance out this roster. Another point, you know, before these guys left, they were 12 deep going going into next year, including freshman Anthony Lawrence, who was maybe a candidate to redshirt. But if you look at that guy's film, he looks like he's probably too good to redshirt. You can't tw- play 12 guys. That was a big part of their problem this year. You notice when guys started getting hurt at the end of the year and they were playing less players, they had better continuity and made their NIT run. Just as when they were ranked earlier in the season, before some guys came back, they had better continuity. I think they had too many players, too many options. Uh, roles weren't defined, and the roster was imbalanced. These guys leaving gives them an opportunity to bounce out the roster, and I think James Palmer can step in just fine and do what Burnett did uh, as a six foot five shooting guard. And I think that Jaquan Newton eventually be competing for minutes with Angel Rodriguez. That's how highly I think of his game. So I, I don't I don't think any less of the, the team going into next year with these two guys leaving, and that's my thought process. And I welcome any counterpoints. Um, quick, quick, um, you know, a question for you, Jerry. Um, you said next year you don't want Rodriguez to be, you know, head, you know, head honcho or whatever. But you know, and I agree with you. And do you feel, do you feel that Larinaga sometimes this year depended way too much on him, even when he goes hurt? But even like you know those games when. You know, he was putting up pretty bad stats, and he just couldn't find a bucket for his, like, you know, I don't know why, but he's, he just, you know, in the beginning of the year, he was so good, and then, you know, towards the middle and towards the end, he just started fading away, couldn't find a basket, so 
you think Larry Nega depended on to, on him too much, you know, him being an older, I, you know, being a veteran? And do you think because I, I of do. that, and next year he's going to yep, do something? I, I absolutely do. I absolutely 110% do. And now, in Laranaga's defense, I think that part of it was that some of the other players, it wasn't just Laranaga, some of the players that are on the floor with Angel were willing to defer to him. And I go back mm-hmm. to Reed and McClellan. When, when when Angel Rodriguez takes the ball to the basket, we're not even talking three pointers, which both those guys shot a much higher percentage than than Angel on threes. Of course, Angel did a lot of his work at the end of the shot clock and off the dribble and so on. And those guys were more set shooters. But irregardless, I think those guys are better shooters than than Angel. With all due respect to Angel, and I think when they take the ball to the basket because of their size and their athleticism, even if they don't convert, there's a much higher percentage that they're going to get a foul call. When Angel takes the ball to the basket, a couple things happen. One, he's a smaller guy, so even if there's contact, the referees have less propensity to call a foul. And two, he's your point guard. It completely screws up the floor balance and your transition defense when your point guard's, you know, in the teeth of the defense, misses the basket and falls on the ground. No foul calls called. Now you got a five on four, and your point guard's not on the floor to get back and stop the other, stop the ball. It. There's so many things that compound themselves when he's taking too many shots, to me, and and that's my opinion. I, that that could be the whole key to the season to me is is not just calming down Angel for one on 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 his shot selection, and two Reed and McClellan just being really aggressive from from the get go and doing it all yeah, season long. I, I felt McClellan like in some games, you know, he was just too passive and. Like he, like he, like he, I don't know if you say this, but McClellan, he, he can shoot, one thing he can shoot well, but I feel like he can get to the basket pretty much whenever he wants. I mean, if you, I'm sure that during the NIT, I mean, he made some, he made a few moves when, when we really needed a bucket, and he would just go through the hoop like regardless. You know what I mean? He would just, you know, cut left, cut right. I mean, he's, you know, he's got a good handle for his size, and he just too pass, he's just too passive. So hopefully next year he takes the leadership role and, you know, and really, you know, like you said, is aggressive with it. I got a chance to, to talk to Coach L before the NIT championship game, and that was my exact question to him was, you know, has the light come on for Sheldon? Uh, you know, he, he wasn't putting up huge numbers, like 20, 30 points. We put up 15, 16, but it seemed like in crunch time he wasn't deferring anymore. He he was calling his own number, whether it was a jumper or taking the ball to the basket and getting fouled. And, and Coach L said he has more confidence in himself and his teammates have more confidence in him. And he did. He mentioned Angel. He said, you know, he uh, he plays really well with Angel, um, referring to McClellan. And, you know, he, he's not getting uh, the same type of, you know, looks in terms of um, lobs and things like that without Angel in the lineup. But he's also, without Angel in the lineup, you know, calling his own number more. So, you know, he, it's got to be – to me, it's got to be McClellan's got to be option one, and he's got to have that same fire in his eye that he had at the end of the NIT throughout the season. And Reed is just too good to me not to be option two. I mean, the guy's six foot six. He came to UM and played point guard for a half a year while LeConte developed last year. Uh, he's their best defender. He's almost as good as McClellan, maybe not quite as much in terms of finishing at the rim. The guy shot like 47% on threes this year. Uh, you know, and he still had games where he only took two, three, four shots. Everything you just said about McClellan, Daniel, double that for Reed. That guy's got to be mm-hmm. the option number two to me. And 
And, I mean, getting back to our original point, that's why I don't think they're going to miss Burnett or LeConte too much. I, I think those are the guys. So, all right, that's all I had, guys. I, I know I've uh, probably talked any listeners' ears off and <laughs> talked your guys' ears off, but, but basketball is one of my favorite things to talk. So, But that being said, um, God, I'll start with you. Any closing thoughts, anything you want to add on the basketball, baseball, football, or university president discussions? I will leave you with one sentence. Jim Laranega is as close to being a Ron Fraser type coach that we have had in years. Well, that that's a wonderful comment for for Coach Laranega, and I, I I hope you get a chance, uh, or I'm sure you will, when you get a chance to go to some games next year. If you could, you should probably tell that to Coach Al. I'm sure you'd probably appreciate that. Um, or if I talk to him on on the one of the um, teleconferences, I'll mention it too. That, that's that's a great compliment for any coach of any sport, I think. And I was really impressed with what you're writing on Frazier this week. So thank you for that, Scott. Uh, Daniel, any closing thoughts on, on anything we, we talked about today? Um, nothing. Nothing really we spoke about. But how about just a little bit of recruiting um, for all the recruiting fans out there. Hold on tight. That's all I have to say. Just hold on tight. You know, this class... We have we have a huge class, but just hold on tight. Yes, that's that's the, that's the motto right now. Just hold on tight. Hopefully, we can keep some of these recruits, and hopefully, we have a decent season. Just hold on tight, guys. Yeah, the the swag class is off to a great start. Talking about referring to the class of 2016, but like you said, there's a long way to go, and the recruiting game is a dirty one. So, <laughs> so I'm just gonna I, I leave that up to to Cam. Mostly, and yourself too, Daniel, and, and anybody else that wants to write, uh, I'll, I'll occasionally write a recruiting article, but man, that that is a, a tough subject to cover. So I, I give you guys credit, because to me, it, it, it's just filled with so much disappointment and so much uncertainty. I mean, uh, like the Trevante Valentine thing is still stinging me. <laughs> it's been, it's been, you know, how many, how long now? So, and and the name Jordan Scarlett, just hearing it just gives me, like, just cringes. I'm just picturing him, like, making 80-yard runs for, for the Gators. just makes me, like, almost, like, want to throw up. So, you know, <laughs> that being said, I, I leave that to you guys mostly. Recruiting is a dirty subject. And I, Cam put out a whole article today that was pretty interesting on, on national prospects, if you guys get a chance to look at that. Uh, last but not least, I just want to thank Daniel and Scott for uh, – joining me on this podcast. Stay tuned. We're going to do them uh, semi-weekly now or weekly if we can, and it should be fun. And, and we're going to get into the NFL draft really soon. That, that's right around the corner, and we're going to talk about uh, all the Hurricanes that are eligible. It should be, a, a, you know, their best year in terms of putting players in the pros in a long time. All right, gentlemen, thank you for hopping on tonight. All right, good. You have me. Okay. All right, guys, have a good night. Thank you, everybody who listens. Yeah.